This is Workers' Comp Matters, hosted by attorney Alan S. Pierce, the only legal talk network program that focuses entirely on the people and the law in workers' compensation cases. Nationally recognized trial attorney, expert, and author, Alan S. Pierce is a leader committed to making a difference when workers' comp matters. Welcome to the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could listen to our show today on Workers' Comp Matters. I'm attorney Alan Pierce. I practice workers' compensation law in Salem, Massachusetts. And today we're coming to you from Washington, D.C., where we are with the Workers' Injury Law and Advocacy Group. I have two special guests for today's show. One is the current president of Willig, and that is Kathy Stanton. And our second guest is Deborah Cole, past president of Willig. And we're going to start by talking to Catherine. Catherine is an attorney representing injured workers with the law firm of Pasternak, Tilker, Ziegler, Walsh, Stanton, and Romano in New York City. Kathy, welcome to Workers' Comp Matters. Thanks, Alan. Kathy, you're president of Willig. Tell us what Willig is and what its mission is. Yeah, Willig is a national organization that is comprised of attorneys that represent injured workers all over the country. And collectively, the members represent millions of injured workers. And what we're trying to do is, is provide education and resources for our members so that they're better able to represent their clients and they're also able to better represent um, benefits that they're entitled to and to um, stop any ongoing litigation battles that are brewing in terms of um, denying or deforming workers' compensation. And as our listening audience knows, and those of us who uh, deal with workers' compensation, we know that workers' compensation varies state by state. There are systems within the federal government and other systems, railroad workers, longshoremen, et cetera. Tell us why there is a need for a national organization of attorneys who represent people in the various states and in various jurisdictions. Yeah, when I first heard about Willig, I couldn't really understand how important an organization it could be. Because every state is different in what they offer under workers' compensation. It's a state law. However, when we start to actually look at trends throughout the nation, it's become clear that things that happen in other states either are happening or will happen in your own state. So what Willick has been doing over the last couple of years has been keeping track of the trends. Things that happen in other states, um, things that the legislature is putting forth, things that the insurance industry uh, industry is promoting, um, things that the business councils are pushing. And these types of things include fee schedules. Um, they're also uh, putting on limitations on medical indemnity benefits. Um, there's opt-out provisions, which is currently in Texas, where employers can actually opt out of the workers' compensation system. So we see different trends throughout the states. And what our job really is to do is to provide information and background as well as talking points to those members in those states that might be fighting those battles. And what would you say right now on the national level, the federal level, is the single most important issue that is affecting all of the states? Well, right now, I think as we saw in Texas, there's an issue of workplace safety. Um, there was an explosion um, at the, uh, the BP facility there was, there's been a number of mine collapses. There was this explosion in Texas. You're constantly seeing um, places, workplaces that are not safe. And 
in my discussions with different organizations, it's unfortunate that there's not enough resources to make sure that the rules that are in place are actually enforced. So we really need to make sure that our workplace and their families are kept safe. And if they're not safe, they should be provided with quick medical and indemnity benefits. I know one of the issues that's affecting the practitioners in Massachusetts, and uh, I know it's affecting almost every practitioner in every state, is the uh, requirement under the Medicare program for uh, set-asides for settlements in particular in cases where there is an expectation of Medicare payments uh, so that the federal government, the taxpayers, the Medicare system doesn't bear an unfair burden of paying medical bills that rightly belong to private insurance. Uh, I know because we are here today talking a lot about that in Washington, that's been a focus of a lot of our discussions. What is the latest that you can educate us on what's happening that might affect us in the states? Sure. Right now, the SMART Act that was passed is really more um, uh, to the point for a negligence or a personal injury action. And that's a SMART Act that was enacted in December of 2012. Correct. It was signed into law. And that's kind of the first step. And the reason that this kind of legislation is really necessary is that the practitioner and workers' compensation really needs certain guidelines. Right now, the way we practice, if we settle a case, Medicare, if they reach certain eligibilities, must give approval for any Section 32 in, in, in New York's case settlements. Um, in order to get CMS approval... CMS is the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services. That is correct. In order for them to give approval on a settlement, the insurance company has to provide an estimate as to what the future care would be. The problem right now is that there's no time limit as to whether when Medicare has to act. Medicare will only take uh, consideration on those cases that reach certain criteria or thresholds. So not all cases reach the threshold where Medicare will actually review. And most attorneys want to have Medicare review this set aside so they know that that is the actual number that Medicare will use or the threshold that Medicare will use in order for a person who's injured to then submit their bills to Medicare. The problem that we have right now are not the cases that reach the threshold, but actually those cases that don't meet the threshold. And probably the majority of cases that I deal with in New York don't reach that threshold. Therefore, we have to still consider Medicare's interests, but they won't give us approval as to whether or not they feel that number is correct. And what is that threshold? That threshold is 25000 um, if you are uh, Medicare eligible or over $250,000 if there's a reasonable expectation that you will be Medicare eligible within 30 months. So that means that if the settlement is $25,000 or less, you don't technically need to notify Medicare, or, but the regulations still require Medicare to approve. Well, you don't need to get Medicare's approval, but you still need to consider their interests. And so now you're kind of picking an esoteric figure hoping that the insurance company, since they're paying to get the Medicare set-aside estimate done, is going to be correct because you're relying on them to make sure that the figure is correct. Medicare doesn't say whether or not they approve that figure. So the fear that we have right now is the unknown. In five years, if the client goes through that set-aside that, that the insurance company has estimated, once they go through that set-aside, will Medicare then accept any subsequent bills for payments? And that's the unknown. And that's right now, I think, the biggest issue that people have is practitioners doesn't know for sure. And we don't want to have our client hurt in the future. And I know from my experience, uh, the goal of 
being able to do this and spare the federal government, the Medicare system from unfairly paying for something that it should not be its responsibility, that it's a timing issue, that everybody, I think, agrees that there should be some mechanism to make sure that uh, private insurance companies that uh, have the liability for workplace injury and the medical expenses pay their share of it. It's the timing of getting this approval, I think, is the major, one of the major problems. Yeah. You know, one of the problems that we have in New York with the Medicare set-aside and the CMS approval and the whole issue of the Medicare set-aside is that it impacts the amount of the time that it takes to settle a case. There seems to have been a trend um, twice throughout the last five years of all of a sudden Medicare kind of reacting very quickly. But for the most part, when I have a client in my office and I tell them that we need Medicare approval, it's 18 to 24 months. That seems to be what um, the time frame is. And some of the problem with that is that these clients may not be getting paid any money because the settlement is predicated upon the fact that there's a controversy and the insurance company is not conceding liability and the claimant is not giving up the fact that she has a compensation claim. But in order to receive any money, it still has to go through this procedure. So what, what steps are being taken to try to address this, to try to streamline the process so that Medicare knows what its liability is, the insurance company knows what its, its liability is, and most importantly, the injured worker and his family or her family knows what to do with the future medical expenses? Uh, is, it, is it a legislative fix that we're looking for? It seems to be that there's been a number of discussions out there. One should be a flat fee that every person who might be either Medicare eligible or will be Medicare eligible within the next 30 months would set aside a certain percentage. And I've heard that percentage be between 10 and 15 percent. That automatically eliminates Medicare's need for approval because at that point in time, it's a flat fee. The um, money is sent to Medicare and the client knows that once they go through their set aside, or once they go through their workers' compensation uh, settlement, Medicare is responsible because they've already paid Medicare for the future medical benefits. Again, you're opening up a can of worms, and it's the fear of the unknown. Is Medicare is the Medicare system going to be equipped to taking that money and knowing what to do with it? So there's a there's a kind of a, a, a battle brewing as to whether or not the federal government should be responsible to handle that money, or whether it should be even the own. Um, injured person perhaps maintaining their own set aside. And the support for this legislation, is it just coming from the claimants' attorneys or the claimant organizations and unions and trade organizations, or is it more broad-based? I think this is definitely more broad-based because there's an incentive for not only the injured worker to have this and the, the uh, legal profession representing the injured worker, but the insurance companies also then know what they're dealing with. They know specifically how much money needs to be set aside. A case can be settled much more efficiently and much more quickly. And once the case is settled, the case is off the books, both the medical and the indemnity portion. So it actually incentivizes the insurance company to settle these cases early because it won't take two years down the road for the case to actually be settled because you're waiting for Medicare issues. But the insurance company can say, okay, we have the figure here, let's settle this case, and it's more efficient throughout the system. And do you foresee uh, any legislation being filed, or has there been legislation filed? There has been some discussion, and one of the things that we were talking about it, while we're in Washington is pushing this issue of um, the Medicare kind of flat fee. That's not really the bill that's being proposed right now. We had a discussion with somebody from 
of the AAJ, and they actually indicated that the workers' compensation portion was not necessarily outlined specifically in that bill. So one of the things that we're going to try to continue to push is to make sure that the bill considers workers' compensation claims. So I guess the the, the uh, takeaway message I get is that those of us who practice in whatever state we practice, Massachusetts, New York, California, or Hawaii, on the state level, we should be watching what is happening on the federal level because whatever legislation is introduced, whatever legislation goes through the process is going to hopefully streamline and make more efficient uh, what is a noble gesture, uh, a necessary uh, ingredient in the system, uh, but hopefully will cure this, this inordinate delay and uncertainty that is currently just wrecking havoc with uh, the process of, of moving claims through the system. This will not only take care of that process, it will also help with the issue of cost shifting because what's been going on in the past is that the federal government really has ended up being responsible for a lot of these cases where it should be the insurance company's responsibility. If there's a flat fee regarding future medical care and the the client has to pay that flat fee for their future medical care out of a settlement, and that's included as part of an overall settlement, there's no longer cost shifting. The people that are responsible to be paying for the uh, medical treatment will be paying for the medical treatment. So there's no cost shifting where workers' compensation ends, and now the person has to go to, say, a, a, a charitable hospital or an emergency room or put something through Medicare where it's not necessarily the right place to go. So I think it'll help not only with expediting the process to making sure that it's fair, but also cut down on the cost shifting, and that'll save the federal government money. At this point, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be back with Deborah Cole, Legal Talk Network, Workers' Comp Matters. Glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn too. You can advertise with us at Legal Talk Network and have your own commercial play in this podcast. Just send us an email at advertising at legaltalknetwork.com. Well, welcome back to Workers' Comp Matters. We're shifting gears a little bit. Uh, we've gone from President Kathy Stanton to former President Deborah Cole, although I probably shouldn't say former president. You are now the president of the College of Workers' Comp Lawyers. I am. So, Deborah, welcome. Deborah Cole is a colleague of mine in Massachusetts. She practices law in Fall River, Massachusetts, but she also practices workers' compensation and social security disability law in the state of Rhode Island. And she, again, as I mentioned, is a past president of of the Workers' Injury Law and Advocacy Group, and someday I'll be able to say that without tripping over my tongue. Uh, but she currently has just begun a term as president of the College of Workers' Compensation Lawyers. So, Deb, tell us about the college. I don't think a lot of people are aware of who we are and what it is. Uh, thank you, and thank you for inviting me to be here today. Um, the college is kind of an interesting group. Uh, my husband calls it the uh, Hall of Fame of Workers' Comp Lawyers. Uh, but basically, the college was uh, created uh, to honor and to... Uh, give uh, note to those who have been in practice for over 20 years, are well-respected attorneys in their field, respected by other counsel, respected by uh, judges, 
communities and who are really the leaders in the field. And it's a way of giving a little bit of respect to those folks and, and acknowledging uh, their existence and um, saying, you know, good job. And is the college comprised strictly of attorneys? It is uh, principally comprised of attorneys, although we have a few honorary members uh, that we have accepted who are well noted in the field, either professors or uh, folks who are involved in the field but not active practitioners. But principally it's designed uh, for the membership uh, to be comprised of active participating attorneys and also judges as well as law professors. And where did the idea of the college originate? Did it come out of any uh, It came out of the ABA. The American uh, Bar Association. And it's very similar to the college um, uh, for labor lawyers. um, So we kind of uh, did a little riff off of what the labor lawyers did, uh, established ourselves in the same manner, and felt that uh, it was time to acknowledge that workers' compensation is a very important field uh, that impacts on all areas of the law and that we should acknowledge the attorneys who are involved in it. And I know that every year there is an induction of, I guess you call them fellows, people that are deemed worthy of uh, meeting the criteria of being leaders in the field and, and, and holding themselves out to a high degree of professional standard to not only recognize them, but to recognize those who yet have to achieve that to have some type of benchmark. And I I, I find, for me, who has a son in the practice, and you have a son in the practice, and we we are being replaced by this next generation of attorneys, we grew up mentored by what I consider to be a class classy group of practitioners, defense lawyers, claimant lawyers. One thing I think is universal among workers' comp attorneys, whether it's in Massachusetts or in any other jurisdiction, generally speaking, it is a collegial and professional bar. I I think that there's no truer words. Um, Alan, you and I both uh, were mentored by attorneys on both sides of the uh, bench. Uh, We have uh, worked with attorneys who help us no matter what. Uh, And it now falls on us as, shall we say, more senior members of the bar uh, to mentor others. And I think that that's part of what the college is about. It's about mentoring. It's about bringing forward those folks who have a lot of knowledge of workers' compensation law and saying to them, gee, you've achieved. And it gives the younger attorneys who haven't been in practice 20 years uh, the ability to work towards a goal, which is to become a fellow of the college. The college is not designed to be about anything substantive other than acknowledging uh, the acts of uh, those uh, who have become great practitioners who handle themselves well with other attorneys and are honest and forthright with judges. It's about acknowledging judges who handle cases in an appropriate manner and are fair to both sides. It's about acknowledging professors who understand the field and teach in the field and basically give to us. It is for the college 
not to look at particular issues because we we are employer attorneys, we are insurer attorneys, we are employee attorneys, we are judges who are neutral, we are law professors who are neutral. So it's not about the substance, but it is also about the college giving back. And that's why we've become involved with Kids Chance. Yeah, we're going to um, talk about Kids Chance in a moment. But and, and also uh, a, a trying to work towards other goals such as that, which aren't substantive about the law where there might be a disagreement between uh, the different uh, fa- factions or parties involved, but rather about working towards helping the folks who are involved in the workers' compensation system. And I'm glad you brought up Kids Chance because I, I've learned a little bit about this organization. I understand it started, I think, in the state of Georgia. It did. And I think it's now spread uh, its mission to maybe 20th, 25th states around the country, and it's it's growing. Tell us of, of, about what the uh, organization, it's a 401 C, 501C3, 501C3 charitable organization, and what, it, what, it, what does it do? Uh, the purpose of Kids Chance is to create charities in each of the states, run in each of the states, uh, which essentially gives back to children of very injured workers or deceased workers by providing those young children or older children uh, with scholarships. Uh, it was interesting because at the last uh, college induction, uh, we had a speaker from the state of Georgia who was a judge, and he was one of the first recipients of one of the scholarships, and he talked about the fact uh, that he would not have been able to go to college but for the scholarship that he received from Kids Chance and was able to uh, then uh, go to college, graduate, go to law school. Obviously, the kids chance didn't pay for him to go to law school, but he was able to move on in life and give back. And he gives back now by being the president of that organization. I think it's it's a wonderful way for everyone in the field to give back by helping the children of those who have been uh, seriously injured or who have died as a result of a workers' compensation injury. And I think the most important and most interesting fact about Kids Chance is the fact that uh, it was started, in fact, by a defense attorney. And so that just shows a little bit about uh, the type of people who are involved in workers' compensation. No matter what side of the fence you're on, you can see uh, where someone deserves compensation or where there's been a serious injury, that you have to help. And and a lot of workers' compensation is about helping and about acting uh, in a way that should be acted upon. Uh, and so we look at all of those things and we try our best and um, I think that we as workers' compensation lawyers are then giving back by being involved with this organization and hopefully there will be other organizations that are out there that we can all as a group endorse and decide that we can give back through them. And I know that um, as the college continues to evolve, as its roster of fellows continues to increase and it becomes more recognized, I, I, I see that the college is also trying to find missions that uh, accomplish those goals, not only Kids Chance, but I know that the, the last couple of years the college has instituted a writing competition for law students. Um, tell us a little bit about we how do. that came about. Uh, the last few years we We've had a competition, and we intend to 
continue that. Uh, we are, we're always seeking uh, law students uh, to write about workers' compensation issues. Um, there's a scholarship both to the individual who wins uh, for the best uh, writing uh, and also a scholarship that is given to their law school. Uh, so it's a wonderful opportunity for um, law students to become involved and part of the workers' compensation community uh, and for their law schools to become um, part of it also. And so we're always seeking additional uh, law students to write those th- uh, those articles. Uh, and uh, again, it's to encourage people to get involved in this field, which many people don't understand is so important to all aspects of the law. And I couldn't agree with you more. I, I've been in this field now for my entire legal career. I find it today as fascinating and interesting as the first day I got my first file, didn't know what to do with it. Sometimes I still feel that way, but it is, you're right, it, it impacts everybody. Um, almost everybody has been touched by an on-the-job injury. It could be something very simple. It could be something you know catastrophic. But it's not just the injured worker and family. It's the employer, the small business person, the large corporations. It is a an ever-changing issue. Um, it's a area of the law that is fascinating. It involves many factors of medicine and law and product safety and vocational rehabilitation and you name it. And uh, I congratulate you for your leadership both at Willig and now at the college and obviously in your practice representing injured workers and their families. At this point, I want to thank Kathy Stanton for being uh, one of my guests today and Deborah Cole uh, for joining me and And at this point, I hope that you'll join us for another Workers' Comp Matters show. Uh, Thanks for listening. I'm Attorney Alan Pierce. I hope you go out and make it a day that matters. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Workers' Comp Matters today on the Legal Talk Network. Hosted by attorney Alan S. Pierce, where we try to make a difference in workers' comp legal cases for people injured at work. Be sure to listen to other workers' comp matters shows on the Legal Talk Network, your only choice for legal talk. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.